things I want to mention to you. Man, it was, a, it, was a, it was a great day. A little chilly yesterday, but a perfect day for a farmer's market. And it was just great to see uh, Tim and the gang playing down there. Uh, they did a great job. I at least talked to, I talked to an evangelical pastor. I talked to uh, a Catholic person, and I talked to a person that doesn't go to church at all. Um, and I talked to some other uh, people who just thought, they were like, man, y'all are talented. I was like, you should, because I'm not playing. Um, but uh, no, they did a great job yesterday, so I was so thankful for that. Another thing I want to mention is right out here in the hub, you'll see um, an easel with a green poster on it. Last week we talked about Camp Vera. Well, on that poster are specific ways that you can help. So what you do is you go to that poster and you pull off a little tag and that'll be your job. So when you look at that poster, if you're interested in helping with Camp Vera, and you'll know how you can help. Um, another thing is this Wednesday is Wednesday Waypoint. Okay, I remember uh, last year we started Wednesday Waypoint for the first time and we were hoping that it would go well and it went awesome and this again this is for everyone. There, are, there is kids programs so don't let that keep you away. Your kids will be taken care of. Um, but one thing I know is that through a lot of our sermons since we, we did the Christian study last year, we've used so many of those concepts. And so this year, we're going to go through the explicit gospel, and I've already begun watching some of those things. And um, it, it's essentially that believers need to preach the gospel to yourselves, right? Because we need the gospel. We need the grace of God on a daily basis, and sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we get lost in the everyday life, and sometimes we, we think that, hey, everything's okay because I got saved at one point in time. Truth is, we need Jesus every day, right? And so that's what that's all about. Um, we're going to continue in worship, and we're going to take our offering here. If you're a guest, uh, that's not for you, but what we would like you to do is look under your seat and fill out um, the, the card there and put it in the offering as it comes around, or, and, stop by our guest central table for a free gift um, for you. As we sing here too, and as the service goes on, if you come to a point where you just need prayer and you're convicted by something, we have people praying in our prayer room out the back here and to the left. Um, we want to pray for you. We believe that prayer is powerful. And so um, we're not offended if you get up and leave to go pray. We want you to take that opportunity to do that. Pray with somebody. Prayer is powerful. And sometimes you just need to sit and be in the presence of God and do that. So we want to encourage you to do that. Um, God, we, uh, we're here in your presence now, and we um, understand that your Holy Spirit is here to change lives and to meet us where we're at, Father. I pray that you would do that. I pray that just in the, in the moments, in these moments, we could rest from the craziness of life and look at who you are and worship you for who you are, God. I pray that we would get an accurate picture of that this morning. As we give back to you, I pray that you would find us giving cheerfully, Father, and joyfully, and we're thankful for what you have provided for us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, Adam lay with his wife Eve. And I read that and I thought, you know, it, it feels like it needs a little, you know, Barry White or something going on in the background. So I thought I'd try it again. For you, baby. But 
Adam. Lay with his wife. All right, you okay? It's been a time. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you, do, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out in the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who, who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This was a portion, as I read through it, you know, first, you know, it's a story we're probably all familiar with, the story of Cain and Abel, right? A story we know. Uh, Nate and I had lunch, you know, last week, and one of the things we were talking about is, for me, when I learn the most and when, when God teaches me the most, it's when I'm in his word. It's when I'm preparing for a message. I'm digging in. I'm studying more than just a casual reading through the passage, right? And God begins to reveal things. And, and that was the case in reading this. You know, it's a story I've known my whole life, the story of, you know, Cain killing his brother Abel. But as I read through it, I, I began to realize, you know, sometimes in my life, I'm really not that much different than Cain. Now, I've not killed my brother, although I attempted one time. Uh, he did something, you know, I don't know what it was, but I took my little Nerf basketball hoop with the metal thing, and I bashed him over the back of the head with it. I see blood everywhere. I took off running. So that, that kind of thing, uh, you know, I, so I understand, uh, you know, that, that younger brother, older brother thing that, that's going on here. But what's happening in here is for the first time, we get a picture of life outside of the Garden of Eden, right? In the Garden God had created a place that this is the way in which the world was supposed to be. It's the way God intended life to be, within the garden. And then we know the story from Genesis chapter 3. Sin enters the world, and now we have the result of it. And in Genesis chapter 4, we get a picture now of life outside of the garden. Not only for Genesis chapter 4, but now for all mankind, for the coming years until this world is no longer around. 
And there are three things that, that I think we see in Genesis chapter 4 that are true, not only there in Genesis, but are true for us today. Three things that are evident, that they're, they're things we know, and especially those that have grown up in the church, have spent time in the church. We understand this. We know it. We understand the concepts. We've heard it. But three things that I think come to light, maybe for the first time, in Genesis chapter 4. The first one is sin becomes evident. We know that in chapter 3 we see the disobedience, but for the first time we see it carried out now. We see the results and effect of sin entering the world. The second is we see the grace of God at work. And the final one is salvation. Sin, grace, and salvation. All played out in Genesis chapter 4. All true in the world in which we live today. Sin, grace, and salvation. Uh, let's look at that. The first one is, is sin. Now the question for us is, is, can we recognize sin? If you look at the surface and you would look at Cain and Abel, it, it's not easy to see, right? I mean, he, here is Cain. Cain, what's he doing? He's offering his sacrifice, his worship to God. Cain is essentially doing the same things that Abel is doing. And if you look at him just kind of on the surface, you'd wonder, you know, what, what is the issue here? What's going on? On the surface, both look like they're doing what they should be doing. They both work hard. They both offer sacrifices. And Cain is not this picture of that wayward child, right? Cain is not out there wandering around, cursing God, doing anything like that. Cain seems like a, you know, a good church-going boy, offering his worship doing the things that he should be doing. But something's not right. And we see God's word to Cain. After his act of worship, his sacrifice is rejected, God comes to him. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you did what is right, will you not be accepted? But you do not do what is right. And here it is. Sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at your door. You must master it. This is the reality for Cain. It's the reality for us. God gives him this picture of what it is, right? It's kind of like this crouching animal. This animal that is ready to attack. This is what sin is. Two, two things you know about a crouching animal. One, it crouches to stay hidden. Right? It does not want to be seen as it's about to attack its prey. The second reason that it crouches is that it wants to seem smaller than it actually is. So it crouches. It hides. And God is telling Cain, you know what? Sin is no different than that. Sin wants to hide itself from you. Sin wants to make it seem like it's not as big as it is. And so it is with Cain. And so it is with sin as it hides itself and it doesn't look as bad as it really is. Sometimes it can even mask itself as virtue, can it? I'm, I'm like this. I, I feel so many times in my life that I start judging myself performance-based. I look at my work. If things are going well at work, I feel good. Even as a seemingly virtue, sin can hide itself. Heard a story recently, married couple, marriage falls apart, 
two marriages fall apart, two other people from each marriage end up together. And what had happened in the marriage is it started out seemingly just kind of talking through issues, helping each other out. And what seemed like, again, virtue, someone helping each other out, resulted in two broken marriages. Sin can hide itself. Sin crouches. Sin is looking to attack. In the early stages of sin, this is the way it always is. Whether it be addiction or pride or self-pity, the early stages, we, like Cain, we, we have some control. And it's why God shows up and tells him, you know, the sin that's crouching, the sin that is ready to devour, that is ready to attack, we must master it. We must master it. Go to James chapter 4, verse 7, tells us, flee, flee from the devil. Flee. That as sin crouches, as sin looks to pounce, as sin looks to devour, we must run. We must flee. It's crouching. It's hiding. It's ready to devour. Sin creates a force in our life. When we give in to sin, we give in to temptation, it begins to create a force in our life that, that really owns us, that really becomes like a shadow that follows us as sin crouches. It always seems to start small, right? It always seems for us to say, you know what, that, that's not all that big a deal. You know, if I, I look at this or I talk to her or I do this or whatever it might be, it always starts small. But sin has a way of growing. Sin has a way of destroying. Gossipers find themselves being gossiped about, haters being hated, cowards being deserted. Those that live by the sword die by the sword. Those that seek the acceptance of others end up being hated by the people they are seeking that acceptance from. So the question for us, as we look at the life of Cain, and we see the life of Cain destroyed, because of this sin that was crouching and him giving himself over to that sin. The question we want to ask ourselves is, what is that crouching sin in our life? Where in our lives, where even may it seem like virtue, where is it that that crouching sin is looking to attack? Where is it that it wants to rear its ugly head in our lives? If you're like me, you know, we want to tell ourselves, you know, I'm not a workaholic, I just work hard. I'm not ruthless, I just have good business sense. I'm not stingy, I'm just prudent. I'm not bitter at my parents, I've just been wronged. And we make all these excuses, we do all of these things, and it grows, and it grows, and it begins to devour, and it begins to control our life. That sin that is crouching. Do you know that sin that's crouching in your life? That sin that's ready to attack, it can start as a, you know, seemingly a virtue. I think a lot of us recognize it. A lot of us know that area in which the enemy is looking to attack, in which the enemy is looking to pounce. And we need to guard ourselves against it. I was having a conversation with my wife this week and telling her, you know, I was kind of laying my issues before. Most people know that my wife is a very sweet, wise woman. Everybody always wonders how I got or all of that. I, I don't think there's anybody in here that would argue that I married up. But as I, as I talk to my wife, you know, one of, as she's talking to me, she says, you know, Kyle, you, you need to talk to others about this. It, not, I want to hear it. You know, I want you to talk to me. But as we seek counsel, as these things, for me, that's sin that's crouching. 
right? That's looking to devour. That's looking to attack. I know where I'm vulnerable. I I know where I need the accountability of others. I know where I need to talk through these. Do you? You probably do. It's important for us to recognize where that sin is crouching in our life. Sin is always a factor. It's dangerous, it's powerful, it's subtle, and it's looking to pounce. It's hiding itself. Sin is evident. It's evident now, it's evident in our world today, and it's very evident here in Genesis chapter 4 as this new life outside of the garden has now begun. We know sin is real. Sin is there. Sin is crouching and looking to devour. Sin is there. The second thing we see is we see grace. We recognize that, that sin is in the world. We recognize that the enemy looks to pounce. The enemy looks to devour. But we also see and recognize the grace of God exists. Even outside the garden. Even after the fall of man The grace of God is there. And it's an unbelievable thing, isn't it? Isn't it nice to experience? Isn't it an amazing thing to experience the grace of God? If we'd all look at our lives, we look at our past, where we look where we've come from, we see the grace of God at work. We see the hand of God. We see the grace that he has shown us, that in spite of our sin, in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our failures, God is there. And God is there to show us grace. I think it's an amazing thing that, that our God is not a God that is sitting there as a judge, right, and jury. He's not sitting there as a policeman looking for a, that, waiting for that 911 call, and then he shows up. That's not God. He's not far away. He's not uncaring about what's going on, about the, the tragedies in our world, or about the tragedies in our own life. He's not just waiting there, looking, hoping, right, to come in after the fact, but he's there now. Look at the story of Cain and Abel. See, in God, we see this wonderful counselor, don't we? A wonderful counselor who gently comes even when nobody calls. God is there. He didn't just show up after the murder, did he? Now as the judge and jury, God is coming down, going to take care and make everything right. He came before Cain murdered Abel. He came to Cain before that because sin was crouching, because he cared about Cain, because he wanted Cain to experience the grace of God. He came before. I think it's true probably for anybody who's had a spiritual discovery in your life we can recognize that when we had this spiritual discovery, God was there, wasn't he? And as we think back to our own journey in our pursuit of the kingdom, our own journey of God pursuing us, we recognize that God in his grace was there. If you're like me, I know the times in my life when I've really felt the presence of God is is times where times of failure, times of hurt, times of heartache, when it's caused me to reflect on my own life and cry out to him. 
And it could have been my own failure. It could have been the things going on around me, whatever else. But times that I cried out to God. And in my own journey and in my own spiritual discovery of who God is and the grace of God. Those are the times we know he's there. Those are the times we felt connected. And for Cain, sin shows up and God is there. And like any counselor, like any wonderful counselor that God is, he shows up not to rip him apart, but he shows up to affirm him. He doesn't show up just as a teacher. He shows up as a counselor. He doesn't show up as a prophet. He shows up as a priest. There to affirm and build Cain up, to give Cain direction. The grace of God is experienced. And like a counselor, he comes asking questions, doesn't he? Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Meaning that Cain, literally in depression. If you do what is right, you will be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. God's goal and and God's hope for Cain is that he will master it. He will overcome it. That's why he shows up. Cain's offering is unacceptable, and it's not that God just disappears. God shows up. Why are you angry? Why are you depressed? If you do what I ask, everything's going to be all right. It'll be fine. And Cain's sin is crouching. Sin is looking to attack. Sin is looking to destroy. I am here. Amazingly, Cain seems to just ignore, doesn't have a response to God. He just does what he wants to do and ends the life of Cain, uh, Abel. Here we see uh, in verse 7, it says, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Literally, what the scripture is telling us is that the, the offering that Abel gave God, God approved it. God accepted uh, Abel and his offering. And the offering that Cain gave God was not accepted. It was not approved by God. For some reason, Cain just explodes, right? Cain just gets upset. He gets angry. He gets depressed. And God's asking him the question, you know, why are you furious? Instead of looking at his brother and saying, you know what? Good job, little bro. Nice job. Well done. Cain instead is angry that his brother, his little brother, is getting the acceptance of God, and he is not. I know what it's like to be a little brother. I know what it's like to have that, you know, that brother. My, my brother was always the favorite. He probably still is, right, Rod? You know, I've told you a story before, but I was going to get into ministry, and I was going to begin my time as a youth pastor. I remember a relative came up to me and said, you know, we were talking. I said, well, are you sure about this, Kyle? I mean, I know your brother does it, but he's special. No, Thanks. But I know that envy of, you know, that brother. But at the same time, I don't have never experienced here what Cain does. 
that because his brother has been accepted for something, man, he wants no part. In fact, he wants his brother dead. He wants his brother's life to end. I was reading through some commentaries on this, and one of the commentaries talked about the names that God had given, both Cain and Abel. Now, we know as you read through Scripture, there's a lot of meaning in a name that's given to somebody. It's, it's very different from today where we just want to make sure it sounds cool. You know, it's a good basketball name. Okay, how's Cade Clarkson sound when it's announced? Let's roll with it, right? In those days, it had a lot of meaning. Okay, here is the meaning before God. And so much so, it, names carried such a meaning that if someone's life was transformed or changed, God would change their name. We saw it with Abraham, Peter, Paul, right? A life transformation, and God chose their name, changed their name. So there's meaning and there's power in somebody's name. And uh, this particular commentary talked about Cain's name meaning productive and useful, that the name Cain literally meant productive, useful, that when Adam and Eve named their son, this is what they had in mind. I was reading in the commentary by Ken Fleming that even so, that Eve might have, have even thought that Cain may have been this promised seed from Genesis 3.15. That Cain may indeed have been the one they were promised about. Productive, useful. Here he is, the one that's going to make right what we destroyed. And this may have been Eve's thought. So much so, and Abel's name did not mean anything of that. In fact, it was probably about the exact opposite. But even so, read this. Chapter 4, let me read it to, to you again. Or, uh, verse 1 and 2. It said, And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And then here's Eve's response. With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Isn't that awesome? I'm excited. I brought forth a man. Cain is in the world. I'm so excited. Next verse. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. <laughs> Feel like my family. Oh, here's my brother Chad. And there's Kyle too. We have him. I'm not bitter. But you, you sense an excitement about Cain, right? He has come into the world. Here is my son. The Lord has helped me, has given me Cain, productive and useful. He might even be the one we've talked about in Genesis 3.15. He might come th- to make things right. In fact, Cain went on, took on his dad's profession Right, His dad toiled in the fields, the ground, that was his job. Cain did the same thing. Abel wouldn't tend the flock. Cain, from all intents and purposes, seemed to be kind of that chosen child, right? And so I think what happens here is Cain, most likely his whole life, kind of the chosen one. Cain, kind of the favored one. And here, God shows up. And who gets the favor? Abel. It is Abel who is approved. It's Abel's offering that is approved. And for Cain, probably for the first time, he identified. His life was identified in his favor over his brother Abel. And for the first time, his life and his identity 
which constructed from the beginning was in relation to Abel. He was great because he was better than Abel. He's ruined. Man, I get like that a lot, right? We look at our own lives in relation to other people. Heck, I'm looking out at you all right now. I feel great about myself. I'm, I'm kidding. But we do that so often. We, we look at our own lives and we look at and compare it to other people and it, we're performance-based. That's what I get all the time. I feel good about what I'm doing or what I'm not doing because I can look around and feel good about myself. I don't think Cain is any difference. Cain has been favored. Cain has been working and toiling in the field. Cain offered this offering, this sacrifice, and he probably felt good about it. So his choice was simple. He either had to readjust his identity or he had to get rid of the problem. Abel. And we see what he chose to do. I think it's why he remains silent when God shows up in verse 6 and 7 and is talking to Cain and telling him, why are you angry? Why are you depressed? Sin is crouching. We do not see a response from Cain. When God shows up, he shows up in a completely different value system. And Cain goes nuts. Isn't it odd? I mean, this whole story, it just seems odd. Why would Cain just go off and kill his brother? And this is what makes sense to me, of where his identity is. Because it's the same for many people in this world today. When our identity is shaken, our world crumbles. When our identity is found in the wrong place. So the question for us, then where is our identity found? Where do you find your identity? If our identity is built on relationships or work or church or any kind of performance, I can guarantee you this. It will crumble. It will fail you. I, so much of my life is built upon that. I mean, I think even back to church and when things go well and the church is growing and all of these, man, there's that, oh man, we're doing what God intended. We're living the kind of life God has wanted us for us. When my relationships are well, when work is going well, it's all the same thing. Man, oh, yeah, it's great. But when those things begin to crumble, we begin to see, is our identity in the right place? When it's based on something other than God, it's all based on performance rather than God himself. But here's our God showing up full of grace. Cain didn't deliver. Cain's offering was not approved, yet God in his grace still shows up. I think the challenge for us is if we find our identity outside of anything other than God, we will be lost. It is only God's grace and love that is utterly secures and unchanging. Only his grace and love. Everything else around will fail, will crumble, but the love and grace of God never will. So I think the challenge for us is as we look and we begin to discover that, that crouching sin in our life, 
There will be times when our world will crumble around us. There will be times when we may fail. But like Cain, God will be there. And God in his grace will show up. And the question for us is, will this be a learning experience? Will we grow from these things? Will we master that crouching sin in our life? Sin is evident, but so is the grace of God. The last thing we see is we see sin, we see grace, and we see salvation. We're going to take communion here in a little bit, and we're going to remember the blood of Jesus. We're going to remember the finished work on the cross that took care of all our, all our wrongdoing, all our failures, once and for all. For those of us that have put our faith and our hope and our trust in the finished work of Christ, we're forgiven. We live a new life. There is a new covenant in the blood of Jesus. And that's what we're here to celebrate. That's why we take the communion every week to remember what God has done. If you look at this story, on the surface, there is no difference between Cain and Abel, right? On the surface, both these guys are showing up to church. Both of these guys are worshiping. Both of them working hard. Both of them doing, really, on the surface, what you would expect them to do. If you would ask the average person in our world today, how do you get to heaven? What would they tell you? Good work, show up at church, worship, give, right? Is Cain not doing these things? See, on the surface, from someone from the outside looking in, man, Cain, Abel, both doing seemingly what they should be doing. So why is Cain's sacrifice rejected and Abel's accepted? They both brought one to God. They both, hey, here you go. Here's, here's, my, here's my offering before you. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abel offered his sacrifice in faith and Cain did not. In faith, Abel offered his sacrifice. Now, this doesn't mean that you know, Cain was agnostic or an atheist or anything like that, right? I mean, he is literally talking to God. He sees him. They're having that conversation. It'd be like me and Jim having a conversation right now, right? You're, you're there, hopefully. not. It's faith in the work and the grace of God, right? Th- this is Abel. Faith in the work and the grace of God. Of God. They knew from their parents what was going to take place. They knew that someday God would send someone who would crush the serpent's head, who would save people from sin and death. Adam and Eve had told them that. They knew that this was what was going to take place someday. And you know what? When Abel brought his sacrifice, brought his offering, he brought it because of that reason. He brought it in the anticipation of what was to take place. He brought it because of his gratitude. He brought it as a response to the work of God that was to come. 
that's why Abel, his offering is said to be made in faith because he knew what was to come. He longed for what was to come. He was thankful for what was to come, which means the only other way we can make a sacrifice is not as gratitude, but as a means to God, as a means to obtain God. This is what Cain was all about. You see the difference there? That because of who God was, and because of his gratitude, Abel brought his offering. But for Cain, it was only a means. It was only a means to an end. It was only a means to obtain God. And this is the question and the challenge for our lives as well. You know, are, are we like Cain? Or is us offering our money or our time or our worship just simply a means to God? I think people and how they react, you, you can see it, that people as they, they give and they devote, they expect something in return, right? If their life's not going well, they begin to question God. You know, God, I'm, I'm trying to do all these things, I'm trying to live a life, yet, man, it's failing. Things are screwed up. Are we like Cain, where we give and we worship and we show up here on Sunday as a means to God? Or is it like Abel, where we worship, we give, we, we are here because of what God has done, because of this great gift he's given us in his son Jesus? Is our act of worship, our offering, is it because of the gratitude we have because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the difference between Cain and Abel. Our answer in this, how we are to be like Abel, I think ultimately is, is found in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 says, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks louder than the blood of Abel. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks louder than the blood of Abel. Many years after this story, the true Abel shows up, Jesus Christ. And just like Abel, he's killed by the Cain's. Right by the Pharisees, by the religious leaders, by those who had thought what they were doing were good, thought their actions and their worship were a means to God. And just like Abel killed by Cain, Jesus, thousands of years later, killed by the Cains of the day. Verse 10 tells us, Abel's blood cries out from the ground. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Right? It cried for vengeance against the act of Cain. Jesus' blood cries out as well. But it's different, isn't it? Jesus' blood cries out for every single one of us that we would be redeemed, that we would be forgiven, that we would understand this new covenant found in his blood, the blood shed for you and me. 1 John 1.8 says, If you confess your sins, 
he is faithful and just to forgive. If we confess our wrongdoing, if we confess where we failed, he is just. He shows up in his grace to forgive. And with the finished work of Jesus, his blood that was spilled for us, once and for all, it's finished. Here's how secure you are. If Jesus, our Savior, if Jesus is our Savior, and if God ever failed to forgive us, God would simply be asking for two payments, right? He'd be asking for our payment and for the payment of Jesus. The finished work means that I'm secure, that I've been forgiven, that it has been paid. And the reason we take the bread and the juice is to, to celebrate that, to remember that Jesus, through his blood, paid for it once and for all. There's no other payment needed by the grace of God. His blood, his blood is the new covenant. Let's remember that as we celebrate his finished work in the bread and the juice. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the finished work of Jesus. God, we thank you for this story in Genesis chapter 4. God, where we see the new world and we see sin alive and destructive. God, but we also see your grace. God, we also see your salvation. God, we also see your master plan at work. We get the picture of Jesus. So God, as we examine our own life, help us to ask ourselves where sin is crouching. Help us to ask ourselves where we need to experience the grace of God. And God, help us to recognize the salvation that we've either experienced or need to experience in our life through the finished work of Jesus. God, as we continue to worship this morning, we just want to praise and celebrate you and your son, Jesus. God, as we take the bread and the juice, we remember Jesus. God, we remember his blood that was spilled for us once and for all. That if we if we ask for forgiveness, we ask for forgiveness. God, you are faithful and you show us your grace. God, we thank you again. We thank you for Jesus. Help us to worship him. Help us, our worship this morning, be a response to that finished work. We ask it and we pray in the name of Jesus. salvation. May we ask ourselves where sin is crouching, where it's hiding, where it wants to attack. And, and if you know that and you're challenged by that, maybe you want somebody to pray with you. I know there are people back there praying. And if you know and you sense that 
Sin is crouching in your life, looking to devour. This isn't something we were designed to go through on our own. You need the family. You need church. You need accountability. We look and we see in this passage the grace of God. That in our failures and in our mistakes, God still shows up. Just like he did with Cain. He was there reminding Cain, why are you angry? Why are you depressed? Sin is crouching. You must master it. Even in our failures, even in our mistakes, the grace in the grace of God, God still shows up. And the last thing we see is we, we see salvation. And we want to ask ourselves, do, do we come as able? Do we come and do we offer our worship? Do we offer our sacrifices? Do we give because we are grateful for what God has done? Or are we like Cain, who week after week we show up because we think this, this will help us achieve rightness before God. This will help us get to where we need to go. Don't miss that. It doesn't matter if you've been coming to church for 50 years or this is your first week. It has nothing to do what we have done and has everything to do with what Jesus has done. Be reminded of that. And as you leave here today, may we worship God. May we leave with a a spirit of gratitude for what he has done.